Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, Andrew Dewing will talk you through the current market, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice. He will also be interviewing a leader in the world of agriculture and finishing up with Farm Chat, which includes his favourite bit, where he tastes beer for free. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and his market report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows is my thoughts or gut instincts of what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market Report, week commencing 15th of April 2019. We're going to give next week a miss, so you're going to have to hang on to these words for two weeks before you get your next instalment. Easter is next week, so uh, we thought we'd take a little break. Right, let's start with um, feed barley today. Old crop feed barley has been suffering and is a £30 discount to wheat. And on that basis, you would have thought there'd be some sort of recovery in the price. I'm afraid it's it doesn't seem to want to do that. And there seems to be more than enough feed barley hanging around. So our current value X farm is about 129 which is a pound less than 130 and it isn't going to make any difference because no one's selling it or trading it anyway. So time is running on with that one. Uh, it'll soon be May and then June and then we'll see new crop feed barley. So yeah, I, I think perhaps bite the bullet, put it to bed. New crop, well, I, this is we, we're going to get into um, Brexit paralysis, aren't we? Can I sell a new crop cargo? I don't know. Uh, are we going to leave in June or are we going to leave in October? So we're, we're still stuck in this miserable place. I think uh, I can give you a value of feed barley, which is a total guess on our part. So 120 delivered store for harvest movement is as good as you're going to get. That's us stabbing in the dark and taking a risk um, just to give you a price. So that's up to you how you feel about it, really. In theory, it should be worth more money than that. But you show me someone bidding it, and I'll be happily to turn around the stuff and sell it to them as I buy it from you. So, yeah, a miserable old trade on, on feed barley. Malting barley, old crop is dead. There is some surplus tonnages here and there. There is the odd person coming in to buy it every now and again. But it is not a particularly uh, lively market. Uh, we've missed the boat in terms of the best prices, so we've got to accept that. In our opinion, it's, well, depending on what variety you've got, if you have got some stuff left, then then work a bit harder to sell it. As far as new crops concerned, very much stuck with indecision. No one seems to be trading. No prices seem to be actually being agreed between two parties. There's concern about dryness, obviously. It's not enough to have caused damage yet, but it's there. Uh, this is on the continent as well. There's also been cold weather in um, in summer Scandinavia in the last couple of days, so could be some damage. Um, let's hope so, he said nastily. But, yeah, pretty dull old stuff. So if you, if you took continental values of planet-type varieties, X-Farm value equivalent is about 155X for October. So UK, probably 160X, a rough value for the brewing varieties. But as I say, Brexit paralysis is order of the day. Oilseed rape, old crop, repeat of the last several weeks' worth of I'm bored with it, sell it. Uh, it's still the same price, 305x. Shouldn't really go down much or up much, but anyway, it's it's now heading on towards the end of April. I therefore think it, it will be time to clear your shed out shortly, if you haven't done already. New crop is the big flea beetle debate. 
It's currently worth £300 ex-farm per harvest. In our opinion, there's been immense flea beetle damage and the crop will be much smaller. So we think that new crop rape has great potential to, at the very least, stay the same price and we think there's been enough damage to push the price up. So that's our advice or our opinion or our gut instinct on that one. Lastly, we'll go on to feed wheat. I know you, you farmers and traders are, are kind of uh, sometimes numbing out by the time it gets to the end of the market report, but let's just, just focus a little bit here on this issue. We think the futures price, which is kind of governing everything, is going to improve in price, and we think the physical price that relates to it, which until recently has been trading at £6 over the futures for May movement, that's now moving closer together. So the physical price is kind of staying the same and the futures price is creeping upwards. At the moment, as we speak, the May price is being offered by merchants at £5 over the futures delivered to Norfolk or Norfolk Suffolk. We think that the price at 169.50 offered, which is £5 over 164.50, which is where the market closed as I speak from last night, we think that that will come into two, four, three, or even £2 premium. And the reason for that is the futures, I think, are going to get very, very technical. The, the, the stores are getting emptied at a very quick rate, which is unusual. Now, normally, futures sit in our stores, especially at Aylsham, right the way through till June or July. And today, we've got uh, 14 loads going out. That is a sign that there won't be futures left in stock at the end of May or June. And I don't think many East Anglian people with a premium of five or six pounds that's been trading are likely to be tendering more wheat in May. As a big open position, now I know that this is getting a bit technical for some of you, but a big open position means that there is lots of contracts still open where people have offered or sold futures wheat and they've got to be able to supply that wheat in order to fulfil the contract or they've got to buy it in. If they haven't got a store or they haven't got the intention of tendering that wheat or putting it onto the market against their sale, they have to buy it in. And if there's no future stocks and nobody likely to tender, certainly in East Anglia, our feeling is that therefore technically the people who are short are going to start getting squeezed a little, pushing the futures price up and the physical price becomes irrelevant to it then. It becomes someone has to desperately get out of a contract that they can't get out of because there aren't many people prepared to sell it to them. So if there's no sellers, the prices go up. Now, I hope that lost some of you completely, and I hope some of you sit and work that through again in your heads because it's important that technically you'll be, you'll be quoting to your merchant, the futures are going up, I should be getting more money. Now you understand that that actually is going to lose relevance through a technicality. The physical price I see staying round about the 169 delivered mark for a period of time. At the end of the year, if I had to follow my instincts at this moment, I think May and June will be well supplied. There's enough wheat out there for that period. But I think late June and early to mid-July could become very, very interesting because there is not that much wheat out there to buy. Okay, so old crop physically will stay around the same price for the next two months. New crop, 139.50 X farm for November. If a merchant pays you 140, then he is effectively working for a maximum of one pound a ton, which is great. I'm very pleased for whoever pays 140, and I'm very pleased with the farmer who managed to squeeze the 50p out. It's less than one percent, and it's a very good example of why there's been a number of grain merchants disappear off the scene in the last six months. 
So with that very happy thought, as an endangered species, a grain merchant, I bid you a good two weeks and I'll speak to you then. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. Crush Foods produces a unique range of single variety cold pressed rapeseed oils. All their seed is grown here in Norfolk. They only press a single variety for its taste and they believe that this is what gives the oil the light, nutty flavour people like. Available in local shops across Norfolk, Suffolk and beyond. Visit crush-foods.com for more information. And now it's time for our feature. This is part two of my two-part interview with David Wright of GR Wright of Ponder's End. It's the good old scrap between Merchant and Miller. Second round. Enjoy. So, we're back, David, and I'd like to apologise for the noises in the background. David lives on site, except for when he escapes to Norfolk at the weekends. And so, he literally has got these lorries going back and forth past his front door the whole time. I think I'm going to start this week's interview with a question. What are the prospects for flour? Can you evolve or develop, or can there be more usage of UK milling wheat in the future, you will, you know, the vegans obviously love you. So, what's the plan? Well, I I think genuinely uh, the the flour trade uh, over recent years has drifted down because people are eating less bread. There have been uh, some emergence of the artisans particularly, mm-hmm. I think, which is an exciting So period. the artisans are the sandal-wearing yeah. flowers-in-their-hair equivalent exactly. of the 2019... The sourdoughs yeah. brigade. But it's wonderful to see, because when I first came into, into milling in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, the craft sector were on the decline, mm. and that's because the supermarkets basically drove them out of business. Yeah. But what we've seen in more recent years is an emergence of, of really passionate uh, artisans who are, who are making sourdoughs and uh, rye and spelts and things like that, which, uh, which are really on the... Real food. Real not, food. Not vanilla, beige... Supermarket. It's the same as the beer sector, isn't it? In in the yeah. in the seventies, it it had died, and we had Double Diamond and Watney's Pale Ale or whatever it was. Exactly, it was it's awful. Very much like beer in that respect, I think. Yeah. yeah. Nowadays, it's you know you, the, the 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 number of breads you can have, the number of t- of, of different grains in those breads are just mind blowing. Yeah. Specialist growers of rye, specialist growers of spelt. There's opportunities of evolving for that. I think so. Yeah. I mean, it's still a small portion of you know the total trade, but I think it's growing, and I think that's that's good to see. I look. I, I, niche is is everything. Small, being able to turn around quickly on a sixpence and do something. If you had three hundred tons of spelt spelt wheat that you that was being grown that got a specific premium it's small enough for some companies not to even bother with it but if if there is a little opportunity for a small business to be the supplier of that that could give enough of a margin to the grower to the merchant and give you a specific bread for your artisan bakers everybody's happy it's never going to be massively overproduced yeah those sorts of things are going to make companies like mine survive yeah Definitely. And yours. And, you know, we're in the business of trying to do things slightly differently to the, the big boys. So, you know, the bread and cake mixes that we've developed over the last 20 years, um, we keep bringing out new varieties and different different types of, of, of product. You know, that's an area that we've kind of 
got to ourselves mainly and you know that's going very well so making bread at home is never going to be a big volume driver but it's you know it's a, it adds value to the business and you know that's going that's going very well as well well i've got, I've got to say that i'm going to this is a little plug for anyone who may well be on my podcast in the future david is going to give me a goodie bag full of flowers and obviously tessa my wife is exceptionally into home baking <laughs> She's going to love that. I want to now ask a question. I've got some prejudice views uh, on the miller turning around and and whenever there's a a big price hike in the premium, forgive me for this, David, but, uh, you know, they go, ah, the premium's gone up too much in the UK. I know we'll buy a load of German or American or or Canadians and we'll we'll put a lid on it. As we head into Brexit, or not into Brexit, goodness knows where we're going to be when this recording goes out. If if we've got clarity, then yippee, but I have my doubts. (laughs) Will we, as a country... Be not having tariffs on any imported food, and therefore the UK miller can just say, Do you know what? Canadian and American wheat's better than yours, it's cheaper, or relatively, you know, I'll just buy that, sod you lot. What's, what's going to happen with that one? Well, I can't comment on food generally, but um, in terms of flour, um, you know, we already buy a fair bit of Canadian wheat because it is so good. But, you know, it's considerably more expensive than UK wheat. Okay, that's a good start. um, I don't think you've got any worries about competition from those uh, third countries. Milling is the best home for for UK farm wheat. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm nearly getting and converted. And will continue to, continue to be. Because we're, you know, we are the market on the doorstep. Mm. You don't need to export it. We're here to buy it. And consistently, you know, you've got biofuels that come and go. But at least the UK are still, uh, UK millers are reliably, consistently buying UK wheat. Mm. Now, in, in, in the recent, very recent past, um, and last week we talked about the millers and the, the, the how they were independent and they all got bought by various big, in the end, American yeah. companies. What about the supply chain? Because the, the, the merchants are disappearing off the face of the earth one by one, aren't they? Yeah, that is a concern, I think, to millers. When I first came in, there were lots of merchants, lots of suppliers that we could go to for wheat. It's almost getting to the point where I need one speed dial. <laughs> yeah, blimey. <laughs> to talk to a wheat a wheat seller but it's at North Hearts Farmers <laughs> I'd like it to be dewing grain but yeah. <laughs> yeah well yeah we, we, we're getting there with our Holcomb supply aren't we and there's one or two others so, so I'm, I'm and as I'm beginning to get converted post post Brexit is going to be a period of if you can get a niche or a story or something that that, that makes it tick believe me we're, we're we're very focused we've got to be really good to survive we're a small fish in a big pond you're in the same boat in, in yours you're not quite as small as us yeah. relatively I, but I have to say you know most of our best suppliers are the little ones you know the people that we can have a relationship with who who are uh, on our doorstep mm. uh, bespoke know what we want uh, make sure that the, the the wheat is right when it comes to the door yeah. there's always going to be a future for, for they need guys. you yeah, we need them too. Well, it's 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 one of those. I mean, I think there is some more consolidation imminently due. Uh, I'm afraid there's some large companies that now that we are not going to export significant amounts of tonnage, mm. the model doesn't work for some of these guys. It? It, every single penny has to be looked at. Um, I mean, with that in mind, you're talking about expenditure. You are investing in a in a way of. Um, 
dealing with Norfolk farmers a lot easier, aren't you? You're moving closer. Yeah, talk, talk me through it. What's going on there? Well, we're building a new mill in Harlow and um, in June next year. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Harlow Council are, are, are putting in a new slit road off the M11 <laughs> straight into the mill, which would be quite good. Um, They're on, on, on time with their delivery of that, I'd, are they? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we're reliant on that. No. But this site here is quite hickledy-pickledy. There's been a mill on this site since the Doomsday Book, so mm-hmm. it's nearly a 1,000 years. Um, we've been here 150 years, but you know, as you when if you walk around the site, there's new and old buildings, and uh, you know, it's not always the greatest layout of uh, of a milling site. Does it replace this? Does this close? This will be a, a, a quite a bit smaller mm-hmm. than uh, than it, it currently is. So, so very we will produce pers- most of our flowers out of Harlow. This, I think, will be more specialist plant. Yeah. So, will you still be sitting in the office with the great great grandfather staring at you, Dan, from the uh, wall? Eventually, I think we'll take take the picture to Harlow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm not moving. <laughs> you can have your your um, yourself painted. No, <laughs> got pictures of everybody in the boardroom upstairs, and um, but you have to be dead before you get. Home. <laughs> I look forward to that one. There's um, a space for me. Yes, yes. So in, uh, it's not normal to build a new flour mill, is it? It's quite an expensive no, no. operation. Yeah. So I, th- I think well, we got to the point here where we were completely full to capacity. Yeah. And then we're going, okay, we're going to have to build a new mill on this site. And when we looked at what it was going to cost, and you know, we still have a bit of a compromise side. Well, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> oh, okay. well, you're going to be the one where they take the picture off the wall and go, that idiot. idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, could well be. This is the generation we like to forget. Yeah. Um, now, hopefully, that's, you know, that decision, it's, it, it'll go one of two ways. And, and I mean, moving forward, making a definite statement about being in the industry is, is, is brave at times. At a moment like this, it's brave, isn't it? Well, look, I, we're, we've been in business 150 years. If we want to be in business for the next 50 years, there is no future on this side. No. And that, to me, is absolutely clear. When you're dealing with the, the big boys, the people like, you know, Britain's favourite baker, mm-hmm. um, they want everything gleaming, perfect, and, um, and, and while our plant here is very good, it's, it's, you know, it's not going to, be, it's going to be right in 10 or 15 years' time. So we're investing for the future, and I think um, when I get to near to the age of hanging my milling boots up, I can say to the, the, the next generation, well, there you go, you've got the best mill, you've got the best site, yep. you've got a nice business there, I've done my bit. Is there any gripes you have about farmers? We've mentioned claims in podcast one. Do you have a gripe? About oh, I've got loads of supply, <laughs> loads of gripe. Well, it depends on supply. I think the the, the supply chain, supply chain. Oh, the main issue I think there is getting reliable deliveries of wheat on a twenty-four-seven basis. I mean, we are a twenty-four-seven business, and we need wheat supplied five days a week, uh, every week of the year. And uh, that's that's not forthcoming. Problems really don't necessarily amount to just the farmer, but it's the haulier as well. Mm-hmm. But I would say that the industry generally has a no-show percentage of around seven or eight percent. 
Seven or eight percent of lorries do not turn up on the day that they're booked. <laughs> so who? That's got to be within your data, though. You can say it looks like if I buy from you, Mister, you're only going to turn up seven times out of ten. Yeah. So I'm not going to buy from you. But that, that is true. But we haven't got that many people to buy from in the first place, and so you know it is it is difficult. And to be fair. Uh, the problem exists across the board. Because the merchant isn't doing his own haulage, he's reliant on independent hauliers. He's reli- those hauliers are reliant on the traffic and, uh, and being loaded. And this is an issue that we have, you know. Um, you know, if the, if the farmer is expecting a lorry to turn up to be loaded, he does need to be there. And um, if he's out shooting or skiing or what have you, then that does cause problem. Just, just for the record, this is, this is David saying this unprompted. <laughs> I'll give you an example of what we have to contend with. So if we, if we have a, a flower delivery to a customer, um, there is absolutely no way that we could not turn up. Because if a baker doesn't mm. have his flower, he doesn't have a business. No. He relies on that delivery every day. Um, and when you're dealing with the supermarkets, for example, you will get a booking time that could be any time in the next you know, 24 hours. Mm-hmm. If you miss that booking slot, they will reject you and they will fine you. And there's no argument about that because they deduct it from your payment. Do you think, well, I can't rely on that bloke to load the stuff out? Well, it, it is a problem. We have to work with it, sort of uh, this... N- percentage of no shows so uh, you know it's a bit like airline tickets you have to you have to sell you have to buy in a little bit more than you actually need because you know some of it's not going to be here and I think I mean the worst time for us was between Christmas and the new year so of December farms are closed down January yeah we, you know we nearly ran out of class three wheat because yeah. nobody could sell us that wheat we ended up I've never hauled our own wheat never hauled our own wheat feed. But I thought, well, stop this. We, we've got to buy a trailer. We've got to have some sort of insurance package. So at least if somebody says, I can't get a haulier, we go, OK, well, we'll come and pick it up or we'll come and deliver the wheat feed. Okay, it's, it's a, it's a very, very good... You've made, you made a very important point very well. I think, I think you know, farmers hear this. It's not... This is a real problem. If a mill stops... It costs an absolute fortune. And it isn't, oh, you should pay more money. It's no, actually, if there's a commitment to do something and you sold it for a Christmas or December, then there is is an obligation to try and understand that, in fact, we want the mill to keep running. Uh, we want that mill to keep independent. We want want rights to exist. And therefore, letting them down is is, is bigger than just you having a day off. I mean, on the, on the Christmas thing, we, we, we deliver flour every single day apart from Christmas Day. So we're delivering flour on Boxing Day mm. um, because those bakers need flour to bake bread so it's fresh for the next day. I mean, all the shops are open day after Boxing Day mm. the supermarket, and it's keeping that supply chain flowing. And just to say, well, I'm sorry, I don't work two, the two weeks up to Christmas... <laughs> It's hopeless. Well, you know, David, I think we've, we've, we've covered just about everything. Thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. Thank, Thank you for having me. And now it's time for Farm Chat. 
Today uh, on the banter session, we have a little change. We've got uh, four of us in the room. So we've got Webby, Josh, Joe and myself. It's our Easter special off the hoof banter and they've got no idea what we're going to talk about. So uh, I'm going to chuck pebbles in the water. I'll say hello, everybody. Hello. Morning. Good morning. Morning. Right. Work out who was who. Right. Disposable society. My phone has just died. It's an iPhone. Are Samsungs any better in this modern age? Joe. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> We've had this conversation before. I'd say, unfortunately, it's a bit grey now. They're, they're not really distinguished. You know, they, they all look pretty similar. They've so all... the answer is no, then? They're the well, same? No, I think there's, there are benefits to the Android sort of world. I don't know. I'm, I'm always, as everyone probably in the office is fully aware, I'm a massive iPhone fan. Sheep. Not just because I'm a sheep. <laughs> yeah. yeah, thanks, Joe. <laughs> There are more Android users than Apple users, just so we I've got to know. say, they're, they're very practical, they're easy. My old man, who is a complete IT Luddite, who has no idea, he used to think until last year, to turn off a computer, you switch it off at the plug. He can happily drive, I'm using the agricultural term, drive an iPhone, which I think is quite impressive. You can't say the same for a Samsung. No, and, and I must say, Andrew, how old is your phone? Um, about, I don't know, four Okay, so any old technology, as we all know, I'm sure we've had laptops where the where the battery dies. So, am I the old technology? Uh, no, your phone is. Maybe just get a new phone. Yeah, but now they're bigger, flatter, thinner, and they'll break even quicker. Have you broken yours in four years? No, because I, I look <laughs> after things. I'm an old person. The thing is, everybody out there, this is about batteries, all right? Samsung and Apple have decided to put non-replaceable batteries in there, so you have to spend £6 billion to buy a new blooming phone. And that is just morally wrong. Any yeah. comments, youngsters? No, no, I, I, I agree. I like being able to sort of like adapt it, change it. The problem is, though, that software and stuff just takes up more memory and then you need a bigger phone. And it's just a great way of making more money for those big companies. Can I just say one thing about Apple versus Android? Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> everyone who has an Android thinks they're part of this really you know, niche society and they're just different to everyone else. <laughs> in reality, they're all in it together. Only dead fish swim with the tide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a little bit of injustice about the, 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 the iPhone-Samsung debate because it was done by two Samsung users, was it not? Yeah. Was yeah, very biased, very one way, open-minded. <laughs> and there's been a bitterness in amongst the iPhoneers since, has there not, Josh? Yeah. <laughs> right, next one, brick in the water. Uh, let's have a Brexit special. Yeah. Okay, yeah, no, this is the this is the day that Nigel Farage launches his Brexit party. To be honest, I actually probably think he might do quite well, just because at least. You know exactly what his party's there to do. They've got one strong stance and people might actually appreciate some direction. Yeah, I I think that um, not focusing on him, let's focus on the the dynamic of the 12th of April was the second leaving date that we were going to be working around. And is it going to be June or is it going to be October? I mean, the dilemma it's given us as an industry, uh, same as everybody else, is, is immense. We don't know whether we can export new crop or not. And the confusion and irritation just continues. I'm just getting absolutely fed up with it. Like I say, direction and how the hell do we plan for it? It's, um, it has been a complete balls up all the way from the beginning. Can't say where we go from here. My, my biggest frustration is the fact that they've just kicked the can down the road. They haven't faced up to the brutal facts. It's, it's just there's this continuous searching for the perfect something but the perfect something is not going to happen. Should there be a new Conservative leader, Josh? 
Um, I I don't know. I, I don't know who who you'd who you'd pick really out of all of them. I, I think one thing they've got to mention is the fact that these companies have spent a fortune stockpiling for a No Deal Brexit. And now that she said literally the day before that we were meant to leave, that there will be an extension for six months, potentially up to six months. And there's no apology, even though she knew there was never going to be a No Deal Brexit, and she could have batted against that. How much blame do we place on just her shoulders? That's not fair, is it? <laughs> No, I think it's just them as a, as a group. You know, they're, they're very divided. It's career politics, really, more than anything. And I don't think anyone, can, anyone I know can really relate to any politician at the moment. Should we have a general election? What, now? As yeah, in, at whenever, this very moment in the next, of time? next month? There's a, I think there is a certain statutory amount of time that you call it and then go through the process. I, th- I, I think it's a good idea in some respects, but I think practically, with, with our date as it, as it is, it's just not, it's not vi- it's just not going to happen. I think no. Because it will just kick the Coke can further down the road. Yeah, I think we're running short of time, aren't we? But what's what's the alternative? I mean, do we go for another referendum? Can you think of the misery of that? Yeah, or another uh, leadership challenge? Who's going to follow Theresa? Well, if you put a Brexiteer in there, you'd have a no deal in no time, wouldn't you? Bit of decision-making. So who would you want in there? Would you have your Boris... No. I think in all of this melee, this is proof that the two-party system is broken. And there's a whole load of uh, Brexiteers who will hate this conversation. But in my opinion, you have, for example, one Green MP out of 650 people. And the two-party system is fundamentally career politicians joining the club, maintaining the club and staying there forever and not actually doing anything outside the line. Proportional representation, however terrible it means that everyone has to sit around a table and in the end get a consensus, is, in my opinion, a fairer system. That's what's happening right now with old Jezza and Teresa sitting down together and actually trying to come up with a deal between the two of them, heaven forbid, two and a half years after when they should have started doing that. It isn't just about the Conservatives being right isn't just about Labour being right, it's about what's the right thing for this country. And while I'm on my soapbox, I think things like long-term strategic decisions about coastal erosion, about the road structure, about the rail structure, all of those, and especially the green issues, are going to have to be addressed. And each time we have a government for five years that is, is it my party, is it, is it your party, neither of them want to spend any money on a long-term perspective. Now, I'll take a breath there. Anyone want to disagree with me? Yes. Right, so our, our attempt at proportional representation, having four of us in the room, has got us not a lot further forward, have, hasn't it? So maybe, maybe we should just revert to a, some sort of dictatorship. But one, one thought sprung to mind, something Ian said a minute or two ago, about, you know, should there be another referendum? If we have another, another referendum... That, that, in my mind, I can see some logic to that because we actually know lots of the stuff we're voting on now and I'm justifying it because I was a Remainer. So, so, you know, I've got to accept that the 17 million out of the 75 million in this country that are the majority, oh, sorry, the 52% of the people who voted, 17 million, I should say, are obviously the people we have to adhere to. And that sticks in my throat. That really irritates me. But it would irritate me if the Scots had a second referendum. Is it the same thing? Is it is it the same argument that that I think they shouldn't have a second referendum on on independence, or is it just because I want to have a second rec- referendum on the thing I didn't win last time? Is it about winning and losing? That's, that's really difficult. It's sort of like a rugby analogy. It's a bit like playing the World Cup final. 
and you lost, and you think, actually, hang on, boys, that wasn't fair. Let's play it again. I kind of, a result is a result. Rees Mogg tweeted, I think, in 2012, that they could have two referendums, one for the first one, and then they'd have a second confirmation one. So he kind of agrees with it, even now he doesn't, he calls it the loser's vote. But is it undemocratic to have two? Because the people voted, and they did vote to leave. Yeah, the, I mean, in the Scottish referendum, they had a better idea of what they were looking at, what was actually on the table. Whereas possibly by keeping it very simple for the UK, obviously, in referendum to get out of the EU, obviously was in tr- some respects trying to keep it nice and simple. And so it was like yes or no. But in actual fact, the the whole debate was far more complicated. And now the question is, if we had a second referendum about that you'd spend so many more hours debating about what particular things go on a on a card yeah. and so you would have like 15 different options yeah. the, the issue the issue my, my argument is uh, yeah you're absolutely right it was a clear cut the scots had a very clear i want to get out or not get out of being in, in union whereas the referendum for staying in or staying out of, of europe was much more complex but let's go down to a much more base human reality Winning and losing, you know, it's it's about ego, winning, we lost. Mm. It, it, it doesn't matter that we didn't know what we were voting for. The point is, is that there's a large slice of people who don't like to lose and they can't, they won't look at the other argument regardless. I voted out, I'm right. No more thinking. Yeah, 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 I agree. I, I voted I in, yeah. I'm, I'm wrong. <clears throat> How annoying is that? If there was another referendum, what do you think the result would be? The same. Yeah, I think that's a fair point, Joe. I, I can disagree, actually. I think it's going to be... Yeah, I think it would be the same result and it will bring more votes out. I think it'd be interesting. We are far more aware of the process now, but... Uh, yeah. I think it'd be the same. But, you know, imagine the turmoil if it was Remain. <laughs> right, with that happy thought, um, I, think we'll, I think we'll wind up our, our group banter session. I'll remind you that um, you, you're going to have withdrawal symptoms because we're not with you next week uh, because it's Easter so we will return on um, 29th of April we, we return so look forward to that Thanks for listening make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released Dew and Grain are independent and local grain traders from seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts we can supply you with the best strategies to help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk or follow us on Twitter. We are at dewinggrain. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by Tinshed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio. 